Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... Some people either have more sweat glands or their sweat glands are more active. As you get fitter, you tend to sweat more, which is counterintuitive. So people think that as you get fitter, you'll sweat less. But, but actually... It's all to do with your metabolic rate. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plod. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome back to the Running with Jake podcast with me, your host, Jake Lowe. Great to have your company once again for another weekly dose of running motivation, of course. We have a great show lined up for you. We have a super guest, inspiring. He's motivating. We've got Pete, the producer, on hand to answer all your non-running guy-related questions. We've covered (laughs) all bases today. We are on it. I'll answer any question, but I'll get the answer wrong. That's a fact. Andy Blow is a great guy, actually. You're going to hear loads. And I had no idea that hydration was such a big thing. As a non-running guy um, who just drinks beer, I had no idea that hydration was so important, but it really, really is, isn't it? And I can see you've got a glass of water at the side there, as well as a coffee just out of shot. I can just about see that. Make sure you... Yeah, move the coffee to one side, my friend. (laughs) When we have Andy on later today, you need to be drinking on that water. Good man. A big thank you to the sponsor of today's show, Salomon UK. You may recall a few weeks ago we did the grand unboxing of the swanky new off-road running shoes that these guys sent me from Salomon. They were the Wildcross GTX. Love these. You know, after after wearing them for a few weeks, I, I could tell straight away, actually, I was like, oh man, kid in a sweet shop. And when I unboxed these, I was like, look at that grip. They're just awesome. So I've, I've loved it, hitting the trails around here. You may know, picked up a bit of a calf tweak in recent weeks. Oh man, so I had to shelve them for a short while. But I'm looking forward to getting back out in those bags boys i'm telling you the weather conditions are perfect this week are you sure you've actually worn them because i've seen them on your instagram and um they look really really clean they do <laughs> are you sure you or are you just are you so fastidious you have to you're so careful about your cleaning your running running shoes is that what it is because i'm presuming you are like that did you just call me a fast idiot? Yes. No, no, not a fast idiot. Fastidious. <laughs> <laughs> He's a fast idiot who is also fastidious. <laughs> because I'm neither of those things. But no, I, I am meticulous when it comes to cleaning the shoes. That That's for sure. You may see on the, on the whole Instagram story thing that often I'll just randomly take a snapshot of the collection, the mountain of shoes building up outside mm. the door, and I kind of leave them there. And of course, it's not just my shoes. It's my girlfriend Martina's as well. They're adding to the collection. It, over Christmas, it looked like a Christmas tree. The pile got that high, it was kind of like a pyramid. It looked like a Christmas tree. I was tempted to stick a fairy on top. And I noticed the Salomon shoes on the top there. Seriously, if you do want to check them out, and thanks very much to Salomon, uh, then just go to our website, runningwithjake.com forward slash plodcast. But it's true, you need to look after your running shoes. They perform better, I think you feel better. And I say perform better, especially when it comes down to kind of off-road shoes as well, because if they're really grippy, which the Wildcross GTX are, you need to kind of get all that mud that's caked into the sole off ready for your next outing so uh, yeah I'm kind of the, the washer guy at home that's my, my role and responsibility <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know how I, I got I got dealt that card but I did but I did so if you do follow me on Strava just search for Running With Jake the next run you see me do will no doubt be in those bad boy Wildcross GTX running shoes actually I'm looking forward to posting a very positive run to be honest with you Pete yeah sure I um, yeah I like Strava I, I, I really do love Strava I tend to use it more as a I suppose a social platform, which is what it is really. It's a social platform for athletes. So for my coaching, when I'm looking after my runners and recording my own uh, training sessions, like in sort of real 
detail and data capture. Mm. I use other platforms for that, but Strava's great as a social thing, connecting with other runners, you know, keeping up to date with what people are up with. And it's it's, relative, it's usually a positive place to spend your time, but that wasn't the case at the weekend. I, I was... Yeah, I was I was a little upset at the weekend. I have to say, you did tell me that you've been um, you've been harassed by somebody on uh, <laughs> on Strava, and and of all the social media platforms, and it is in effect a social media platform. I think it's probably one of the most supportive, and it's certainly not Twitter. You know, if you want to find if you want to find horrible people getting backed up about the world, go to Twitter. If you want positivity and motivation and just a pat on the back, go to Strava. I think it's fair to say, but that didn't work out of the weekend for you, did it? We see eye to eye on this, Pete, and. And, you know, you're dead right with the likes of Twitter and Strava and the differences between and all that stuff. And obviously they're very different things. But with Strava, like, because it's a hub for runners predominantly, obviously that's who I kind of follow the most, they... Mm. They all support each other. That's what the running community is. Everybody's got their own goals and aspirations, but they want to see other people around them do well also. And that's what I love about it. And I, I basically posted a run at the weekend and it, I've had a super busy week last week. I mean, we're all busy, aren't we? And it's, it's, there's so much going on and it's all great stuff, by the way. Super exciting. However, it was a real challenge for me to get out at the weekend. I'm, I'm back running. Calf's no longer a problem. Uh, Martina was on call. She ended up doing a run on her own. So I wasn't running with her. Obviously, you lose a little bit of motivation when you have to do it on your own if normally you run with somebody. Sure. And I thought, right, I'll do a long run, classic long run, you know, Sunday, blah, blah. And I just, the day got later and later. I was busy working in the morning, catching up with my runners. I just didn't get chance. And I didn't, I didn't really make the chance, let's be honest. And I found it harder and harder. And in the end, I got out there. I thought, come on, just, you know, you're going to feel better afterwards. What would you advise other people listening to the podcast, etc.? So I got out there, laced up, and I just did 10K. Mm. I say just 10K because that was shorter than I intended on doing. You know, the week before was like 10 miles or whatever. And I came back and I, 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 I put on Strava, uploaded the post and I, I, I label it, you know, something funny or amusing or I try to inspire. I don't use it as kind of an education platform as such, but I like people that check in on my post to kind of get something from it, right? Sure, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I just put, you know, this was a difficult run basically. And I, I sort of just mentioned a million and one reasons why I could have sacked it off, which I'm sure many runners listening to this now can relate to. You know, you do want to sack off your runs on occasions. Oh, you sack, that- off them all, sack them off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Why exactly. Not? It's easy. <laughs> and, and that was the case for me on Sunday. And I didn't, you know, and, it, and, and I basically said it was the strength inside that gave me the strength to get outside. And mm. that is exactly what it was because I could easily have not done it for so many reasons. And loads of people, you know, they give you the kudos and the comments and all that stuff. And that's great, you know, lovely. And then this one guy popped up. In fact, it was a friend of mine that messaged me. He's, it's, he sent a screen grab. He said, oh, have you seen this? And this guy had basically just gone off on, I say guy, I have no idea whether it was a you know boy or a girl, just gone off on this, this rant about, you know, what am I missing? You've been injured, you want to get back running, you're a coach, your hobby's running, your, your, your activity is running, your only activity, your life revolves around running, you've got no kids, it's Sunday, it's not bad weather, yet you, you, you know, you're spouting out rubbish about mental strength to go out and run six miles. And, and, and he said, I bet that was really challenging for you. And I'm really glad you battled through. Well done. And I read this message and I didn't really know what to think, to be honest. I thought, well, okay, so that's a bit harsh. And, you know, your immediate reaction is I'm a people pleaser. I want everybody to like what I do and what I offer and all that stuff. So you think, oh, I've upset somebody. What's the problem there? And, you know, I kind of mulled it over and I showed the message to the comment to Martina and stuff. And I thought, you know, it's, you never know what is going on inside somebody's mind. So in both cases here, by the way, Pete, so in my case... 
to this person, well, you only ran six miles and that was a big challenge for you. It doesn't matter whether it's six or 60 miles. Of course, yeah. You don't know what's going on 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 the inside. It could be one step, it could be 10 steps, it could be a marathon. But if somebody's having challenges, and you can't always see that, by the way. You know, like I say, what's going on in the inside? To really understand what's going on in the inside, you've got to lift the hood, right? You've got to lift the bonnet of the car to really see what's happening underneath. And I thought this person had not taken the time to even know that. And yet he, this person thought that they had like a big profile on me and stuff. And then as my thoughts went on, I thought, thinking about this person, what is going off in their life that they feel that they need to make that kind of comment? What, what Have I upset them? Is there a trigger? Is there something? Have they experienced some challenges in their life? And they saw something that just acted as a trigger where they just needed to, you know, knee-jerk reaction sort of thing. Yeah. But, but obviously when you... Where there's negativity, there's positivity. And I didn't, before I had a chance to do anything, there were so many people that were either messaging me directly or commenting back on Strava, you know, and that's the support and love of the running community. I could have reacted easily and perhaps Jake of old would have reacted but I didn't. I took a deep breath and I just I just don't want to be that person. Well, you know, Jake, that's very understanding and that's very mature of you. I'm not as understanding, I'm not as mature and I just want to defend a friend, okay? So I'm going to get in on it. I'm on Strava right now. Um, who are who is he? Who is it even a he? Is it, is it a she? Who are they? I think it's a he. I can't be sure, but I think it's a he. Right, okay, what's his name? Hugh. Hugh? Hugh, H-U. Hugh what? Joss. <laughs> Hugh Joss? That's his name. You Joss. For the show notes and video content, <laughs> go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. Right, I'm excited about this one. I'm always excited about a guest. We only have great guests for you on the Running with Jake podcast, but today's particularly special. We're going to be getting into a subject that I know can confuse a lot of people. It is a minefield, and that is hydration. We're going to get some clarity on that very subject. We've got just the man, Andy Blow. He's a sports scientist, founder of Precision Hydration, helping athletes better understand their individual hydration needs. He works with the NBA, NBL, Premier League, professional athletes. I think that's enough, Andy. I think you're qualified to come on the show. You're overqualified, <laughs> really, to be speaking to ourselves today. Great to see you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for the invite. It's an honour. Man, I'm concerned because our show normally is about 40 minutes therein, no longer. And this is a big subject. I've got so much I want to get into with you. But <laughs> look, let's start at the very beginning here. And I know you've got a story as to how you founded Precision uh, Hydration and how you got into all that stuff. You're a keen triathlete yourself, I understand, a runner. But tell me, what is hydration and why is it so important? Well, hydration is the, the amount of water that your body's got on board, really. And it's crucial to how your body functions everything from how your joints move to keeping your blood flowing to keeping your cells communicating we know that you know optimal hydration is key to being in tip-top shape and that's you know that that applies not just to athletes but to anyone in everyday life and the interesting thing about the subject is like you said it's it's become very confusing for people even though i'd argue maybe it doesn't need to be you know it's it's been it's been sort of over-scienced a lot over the years, over-complicated, over-hyped. And then what we're trying to do, um, I guess, is try to say, look, well, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not the easiest subject in the world to get right when you're a runner or an athlete because there are lots of variables and lots of things that change. But with, when you understand the basics of it, 
you can you can learn to listen to your body and, and tune in and, and get it right and that's what we're here to do is help people do that I mean, you, you talk about confusion and stuff, and it is, isn't it? And and perhaps a lot of people maybe have been misinformed over the years, and perhaps you know, unknowingly that 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 evidence suggests that this is the latest research, that this is the way to go with hydration, and and then things change and new research, etc. And we we kind of change the way that we think, and certainly in this case, the way that we hydrate. People like things in boxes, though, don't they? Do, do you find this working with athletes of all levels? You, you kind of want to know, look, if I do this, if I drink this, am I going to achieve this? Am I going to be hydrated, you know? And that's that's really hard to find your individual hydration needs. I mean, what's the starting point here? Where, where does somebody start with that? Yeah, you're dead right. People love a simple answer, especially a simple answer to a complicated question because it makes you, you know, it, it, you don't have to then engage your brain too much. You can just... You know, take the one size fits all or the the soundbite answer, and then and then get on. And unfortunately, when it comes to individual physiology, especially things around nutrition, hydration, training, whatever, they're all there's there's some sort of general rules that apply to everyone, but then there's always an element of nuance and an element of individualization. And so, the the first thing that we always start with talking to people about is the fact that. You know, understanding the basic physiology of it on, of, as a runner is really useful because then you're starting to appreciate what, what you're trying to do with hydration. And when it comes to running and exercise, hydration is usually, um, it's usually all about keeping your blood volume up because when you exercise, you obviously get hot. When you get hot, you stimulate sweating. And when you sweat, you gradually reduce your blood volume because your sweat comes from your blood plasma. So what you see coming out of the pores of your skin onto, to evaporate away, to take heat with it, is part of your blood plasma. And obviously, when you're exercising, you're trying to pump blood as, as fast around the body as you can to both cool down and fuel, and fuel the muscles, transport gases, um, to take energy around. And those two things kind of come into conflict at some point because as your blood volume is decreasing, you, you, your heart has to work harder and you reach a ceiling of performance. So when we're trying to hydrate for running or any exercise, we're trying to keep blood volume up. And that's the basic starting point for, for understanding why you need to drink when you exercise. And then further on from that, obviously the million dollar or the billion dollar question if you're in the sports drink industry is, is like, what do we drink and how much? And that's where it gets tricky, a bit trickier, a bit more intricate. Well, I tell you what, I sit here, Andy, as a complete non-running guy, uh, and um, uh, and obviously hydration for runners and e- people who exercise a lot is very complex. Um, I sit here as a non-runner and a non-exerciser, and to me, it's dead, dead, dead simple. I mean, if pe- more people were like me, and we just watched TV all the time, and then had a drink when we were thirsty, that would be easy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and that's the thing, the thing about the human body, you're dead right, is that it's we're really good at hydrating for everyday life because our instincts it's often been leveled and one of the latest trends in in hydration has been to throw the science away almost and say look just drink when you're thirsty because you know it's what animals do it's what we do instinctively because thirst is really powerful if you've ever got really really thirsty you know you'll fight your way through a brick wall to find a glass of water it's a it's a some primal drive in the human body so Generally, if left to their own devices and left with enough access to water, a human is not going to die of dehydration because they're going to voluntarily drink. So that's, that is a, a really, you know, it's a, it's a basic fundamental human drive and it's one that we all 
adhere to every every day. Where it gets a bit more interesting though is saying, okay, well, if if we're going to drink enough to stay hydrated day to day, you know, in in normal life, what happens when we run and we sweat quite a lot? Does drinking when we're thirsty do enough to keep us at our best? It probably keeps us, it certainly would be enough to keep us alive. I don't think anyone's going to argue that you, you're going to, even as a runner, you're not going to get so far into a run without drinking and you're going to, you're going to drop down dead from dehydration. That just doesn't happen. But at the same time, staying alive is not the same as maintaining optimal performance. And that's where all the opinions start to diverge because you have got advocates for saying that, look, just drink when you're thirsty. And then you've got a lot of athletes who say, well, when I do that, what I find is that actually by the time I'm really thirsty, my performance has started to deteriorate significantly and I've, I've kind of fallen off a cliff. And it's like, well, and, and what I got really interested in this as an athlete because I kept screwing my hydration up in races. So I was, I was competing mainly, although I did a lot of running and running was one of my, my, my sort of my best sport of the three. I was actually a triathlete for many years and I, I had loads of problems in hot weather because I have a really big sweat rate. Like I sweat, I've just got, I'm that guy whose t-shirt is soaked after 2K, you know. And <laughs> so I always assumed and I studied sports science and the, the, the threat of dehydration was kind of rammed down our throats in the 90s and early 2000s has been really problematic for athletes. So I was big on drinking a lot. And in an Ironman, I was drinking loads and loads and loads and loads. Yet my performance was deteriorating. I was getting cramps. I was ending up in the medical tent. And, and because I was afraid of like, you know, I was, I was actually going beyond my thirst instincts, like drinking like a machine, basically. I ended up with a condition called hypernatremia a couple of times, which you might have heard of, which is where, you know, you dilute the salt levels down in your blood quite severely. And I was lucky in that it, it made me a bit ill, but not hospitalised or very ill. I mean, this can be bad news, can't it? This can be really bad news. Unfortunately, athletes die every year from hypernatremia, not not in large numbers, but any death through just over drinking is just you know a terrible tragedy because it's really preventable um well i think there was one not too many years ago in the london marathon when it was a particularly hot year someone had, had take you know taken the sort of advice to drink lots to the extremes and i know now that the london marathon's hydration advice page is very big on saying like, like drink but don't drink at every aid station don't over drink because of this and so that's kind of where flip-flopping back that's where this argument for drink when you're thirsty came in because actually it's a good preventer of hyponatremia because the reason it works to, to preventing hyponatremia is when we sweat we lose water but we also lose quite a lot of salt and your blood's really salty it contains about 3,600 milligrams of sodium in every litre when you sweat the, the salt content it varies from person to person but it's quite a lot less than that so you proportionately lose more water than salt so if you drink when you're thirsty you tend to top that fluid up a little bit the salt levels drop a little bit but overall you kind of keep somewhere close to balance and that's that's the whole principle on which drinking to thirst is based what it doesn't account for though is that over many hours you obviously need to start putting some of that salt back in or if you if you are a particularly heavy sweater or a particularly salty sweater like I am I lose loads of salt in my sweat and I was finding that very quickly in a race or in a hot training session I would just fall behind in terms of salt loss and fluid loss if I was just putting fluid in I, I made the problem worse because I kind of diluted my body down so for me it was then the case of 
understanding and addressing what that recipe was. And for me, it was, it was actually taking quite a lot of salt in or sodium in with the drinks that I was taking. And then it was like night and day because my body was, the salt levels were getting replaced. My blood volume was being maintained and I could perform at my best. And, you know, sort of cutting to the chase, that was what triggered me into being really interested in this area of, of physiology and testing and advice. I mean, you can understand, can't you? We said about people wanting things in boxes. If I do this, how am I going to achieve X and Y? And we know that that's not possible. But a lot of runners and a lot of athletes of all levels can be very driven, almost obsessive in in some senses to some degree. And if, if we're told that something is good and we want to perform well and it's good for our health and good for performance, you can understand why people want more of that. So you can understand why people can be potentially at risk of over drinking we, you know, we do talk about dehydration a lot but people can go well if, if drinking water is good for me and hydration is important surely if I drink more then I'm going to perform better um, and I think now there's almost I sense and you will know more about this than, than me Andy but I sense that there's almost a slight shift of kind of not so much focus maybe but an awareness of actually hang on here the the sodium balance is now important the salts are important people are talking about electrolytes and things and can you tell me a little bit more about that the importance of having those 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 salts in in the hydration or having that that balance within the body and how we can find out what are our needs what are our demands first of all that thread that you just started pulling on there about athletes you know if you tell athletes that this is something is good then they'll do a lot of it is is very very true and we see it all the time in nutrition and and hydration so you tell athletes and this is what happened to me as a youngster is you tell athletes that drinking water or more of it is is basically good and being being obsessed and diligent then you'll you'll sort of like take the recommendations and times them by three because that surely must be three times better right you know and that that's what a lot of people end up doing and that's why we ended up with this shift from people potentially having problems with dehydration who weren't drinking enough but then way more prevalent was the problem of overhydration the problem with it fundamentally is that you know as i was alluding to before when we sweat we lose you you lose water and you lose sodium you do lose other electrolytes but they're in relatively small inconsequential quantities compared and all of your your extracellular fluid in your body is very rich in sodium and if that's what we're losing when we sweat sooner or later your extracellular fluid volume starts to contract and we get all all associated problems with that you know sort of fatigue and slowing down and you get your blood starts to thicken and it's just a bad news story for exercising when you when you only put fluid back in you can only put it into a certain amount before you're obviously going to start diluting those sodium levels and then what the body has to do it has to shunt fluid from the bloodstream into its cells the cells swell up and that's when hyponatremia becomes really dangerous because your brain can swell up. And that's why people get confused and they get fuzzy headed and they start to become sick and have even have seizures or go into a coma. So all we're doing by, by putting electrolytes or putting sodium in with fluids is allowing the body to maintain homeostasis a lot easier because we're giving it both of the components that it's losing. And the fact that this has become such a, a contentious issue in sports science is really it's sort of odd in a way because you know we all accept or most people accept that when you're running and burning energy and burning carbohydrates and calories we need to put some of those back in but it's almost gone the other way now with hydration and electrolytes to a degree where you've got a whole camp of people who are saying actually because we've been and I think what's happening is they're kicking back against the big sports drink companies like the Gatorades and the Lucasades who've potentially oversold or they have oversold 
you know, electrolytes as if, are oh, you going to do a park run? You need a bottle of Lucozade, you know, or something like that. When, when actually that's not true. But when you're running a marathon in hot conditions, actually a bottle of sports drink with electrolytes and potentially some carbohydrates in it is a really, really valuable thing to take in. Because what, because what we're trying to do is, yeah, keep that body in homeostasis. Is it just in these hot conditions that electrolytes become important and replacing sodium and, and topping up levels? Or, or is, there, is that a bit of a myth? Is it important through the winter months, depending on the intensity of the session, potentially the, the length of the session? Because you don't, naturally, you don't feel as thirsty, right? If it's cold. Yeah, you don't feel as thirsty, predominantly because you're not sweating as much, so your fluid levels aren't dropping as much. I would say that in, in broad strokes, it's, it's not necessarily fair to say it's only a summer problem but it's way more prevalent in the summer because but the the bottom line is that electrolyte loss along with fluid loss becomes a problem when sweat rates are very high over a prolonged period and often that's more prevalent in the summer than in the winter so we work a lot with nfl teams like you mentioned people in um in the southern states in the u.s where let's say NFL, they do their preseason training in like July and August. It's in the heat, it's in Miami or it's in Texas or places where guys can be sweating. You know, these guys can be sweating three, four litres an hour during practice, wearing loads of pads and loads of gear. And that just is, you know, an unbelievable amount of, of fluid and salt to correct for. So they, they have to live off sort of salt and hydration products in order to, to recoup. You, you're not going to get that in England at this time of year if you're just going for a five mile jog around the block like I did yesterday morning so it's that's and if you think that these things like exist on a continuum we've got really extreme long hot races and events and stuff at at one end and kind of going for a short jog in the cold weather in in December you know somewhere else and between those two somewhere is a kind of tipping point where actually electrolytes are useful with fluids as well but that point is very individual and it's kind of frustratingly difficult to to just you can't chuck out i can't chuck out a number and go it's when you're running for more than 90 minutes or it's when the weather's more than 30 degrees or something it's that it's that sort of combination of factors that come together for me in racing it was usually anything beyond 90 minutes two hours if it was hot and humid i would benefit from taking electrolytes but other people can go for longer other people it might kick in a bit a bit sooner and i think having i think the most important thing is that people acknowledge that at some point you know as sweat losses accrue you need to do more than just well you certainly need to do more than not drink and you probably need to do more than just drink water and finding that individual point of where it makes a difference for you as an athlete should be your your goal not trying to latch on to whatever the latest trend is or copying what your mates do or you know all those kind of things because we're all built differently a lot of people i think have a an interesting view on sweating and whether sweating they put it in a category of either good or bad if they sweat a lot they kind of particularly if they're relatively new to exercise they feel like oh my gosh i'm sweating i'm this is not a good thing that i that i sweat so much can it be categorized as good or bad does it not matter what what determines it is it level of fitness is it is it connected to, to genetics what does it mean that's a really good question I think sweating is massively affected by genetics. Some people do just sweat more than others. Some people either have more sweat glands or their sweat glands are more active. And then what compounds it then is you also, as you get fitter, you tend to sweat more. 
which is counterintuitive. So people think that as you get fitter, you'll sweat less. But, but actually, it's all to do with your metabolic rate. So if you can run, if we take an extreme example and we look at some of the, the world's top marathon runners who run between sort of 4.45 and 5 minutes a mile these days, they often, the guys anyway, are weighing 50 or maybe 60 kilos, that sort of thing. But they can sweat two, two and a half litres an hour because their metabolic rate, the amount of heat they're producing is so high, they've adapted over time to sweat more because sweating is the way that they can evaporate heat off to the environment as fast as possible. So... The reason that people have a misconception about that is because if you imagine a really fit guy and an overweight guy sort of like running for the bus and the they're both going to get on the bus and the fat guy's going to be sweating and looking all you know out of breath and horrid and the, the fit guy's not going to touch the sides. But it's to do with relative intensity because for the fit guy, he's maybe running at 40% of his maximum to do that, whereas the unfit guy is running at 90% of his maximum. So... The, f- the fitter you are, the longer you can sustain a high workload, the more you're going to sweat. Is that primarily to, to dissipate the heat? Is that the primary function of sweating to regulate, you talk about homeostasis, to regulate that, that core body temperature? 100%, yeah, because basically your core body temperature has to operate within a ne- really narrow window, like 38 to 40 degrees Celsius normally. Some elite runners can go a bit beyond that, but we have to keep that temperature down. Otherwise, your performance just drops off a cliff. Wow. I mean, that just blows my mind, to be honest. And we, in, in terms of dissipating heat, in your research, is there anything to suggest that different body types are better at dissipating heat than, than other body types? Or does that not come into effect? I think the, yeah, the sort of basically taller, thinner build, as you would expect to see in elite runners not necessarily taller but thinner thinner limbs and skinnier higher surface area to volume ratio tends to dissipate heat better conversely it means that those people get cold easier in colder conditions but tend to tend to be so it kind of all follows the the adapt the the natural adaptation that happens as people get more elite and better at running is you'd see that body type evolve into sort of thinner and and longer limbs and that type of thing and that's all that's all largely better for dissipating heat so sweat rate is is sort of having a higher sweat rate up to a certain point is is advantageous because it means you can offload more heat but i've i've obviously come across a lot of people over the last 10 years who've come to us for help with their their sweating as it were and seen people really at extreme ends both extreme ends of the scale so i've worked with people who've got very very low sweat rates and they often will do they will often really struggle in the heat even though they don't lose a lot of fluid they find it really hard to cool so a typical tactic we have to put in place with them is like you're getting lots of water and basically chucking it over yourself at aid stations and things because then you can evaporate that water off and it's a bit like external sweat for the body um, and that's that's a limiting factor for them but right at the other end we get we get loads of people come to us who've got super super high sweat rates the kind of sweat rates that are like two and a half 2.8 liters an hour and then in really long and really hot races, these people often end up in a bit of a state because they simply can't keep up with anywhere near their fluid intake and their gastric absorption is just not is just not anywhere close to what they're losing. So they progressively deplete and dehydrate. I mean, I guess it's like fueling in, in terms of carbohydrates and things, food, because it's it's not just getting it in, it's how well you use it. 
does the same sort of thing apply with hydration rather than just getting it in it's what happens next how how well can the system process it yeah for sure so when you drink something as obvious as it sounds it goes it goes down into your stomach it then transits from the stomach into your intestine into your small intestine where from where it's absorbed into the bloodstream and when you we it's generally quoted that around about one litre an hour is kind of the maximum absorption rate for most people. And, and is that better to take that over the course of the hour or is it, it you know, can you? It's, it's easier for people in many respects in a race and in training just to kind of power drink and just stop and just have one stop rather than several stops, as it were. You know what I mean? To kind of, is it little and often or can we just neck it back? Little and often works well quite a lot of the time for runners if if the situation allows because obviously it can lead to less... It, discomfort there's there's studies that show that when you take on a large amount of fluid quickly it empties from the stomach faster because there's more pressure there so that can be beneficial if you if you're really trying to get fluid and fast but obviously you live with the discomfort so it's a bit of a trade-off from everything that i've read and all the practical experience i've got i would say though the main thing that dictates kind of volume of fluid intake and how people space it out is got more to with availability so if you're riding a bike you can sip from a bottle quite often and it's not particularly disruptive to what you're doing. If you're running, as you said, you know, sometimes you're not going to want to slow down at every single aid station. So you might choose to chug a bit more if you can get it down you in between. So it becomes a bit more sort of tactical and um, logistical rather than what's totally optimal for your physiology. If you're a competitive runner, you'll have been in situations where I've certainly been in situations where I've thought, I'm going to see what the guy next to me does at this aid station, because if he's slowing to get a drink, maybe that's time to put the boot in or, or you know, or vice versa. Who knows? I know you used to be a team sports scientist for Formula One. Was it, was it Benetton and, and Renault, I believe? So yeah. I, I, yeah. I think I, I can sense some of this coming over in the conversation, you know, the the strategizing and all that sort of stuff. If if one car goes into the pits, it's like, oh, I'm going into the pitch, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested, actually, because this is, this is kind of connected in some respects. I'm, I'm a big Formula One fan, and they talk a lot about power to weight ratio, right? And I don't know whether this is relevant in what we're talking about, but I'm going to try. So we're talking about hydration and the, the importance of having that balance and not being dehydrated, neither overhydrated. Is there kind of a sweet spot in terms of where you're, you're, you're moving more towards the realms of dehydration, but you're still safe and it's not affecting your performance negatively, meaning that the benefit there is actually you weigh less, so you've got a greater power to weight ratio, or is that complete nonsense? That's that's been hypothesised quite a bit, and what the data s- suggests is that when the elite runners finish marathons or ultra marathons, or when elite athletes finish Ironman races, and when people do well in these things, they end up lighter than when they started. So your body, especially because you tend to s- hit the start line of these things, well fueled, well hydrated, fully topped up, you're kind of at your heaviest at that point. You, the aim or the, the outcome should normally be that you finish lighter. You certainly shouldn't finish at the same weight or heavier. There's a bit of argument as to how much lighter and what the trade-offs are because Haley Gabri Selassie was measured at losing nearly 10% of his body weight in some marathons but running really, really fast times, you know, like 204s, 203s. So some people were suggesting, well, maybe that's part of the advantage. And it's it's... I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that that's helpful, but it's it's where the trade-off sits. You know, it's like if you are losing too much body weight, then at some point you're physiologically going to slow down. I don't think the main benefit is losing weight when you dehydrate because I think it's a, it's too small a percentage to be really really significant. But it's it's 
definitely been proven that it's not a good idea to try and maintain weight or certainly not gain weight through, through drinking as much as you sweat. If people are listening to this show and they're thinking, right, I understand the importance of hydration now, I get it. I, I love what Andy's saying. What, what's the starting point? We said at the beginning of the chat that people need to almost self-discover a little bit what works for them rather than putting things yeah. in boxes as we spoke about. It sounds to me like there's two things here, correct me if I'm wrong. There's your own individual hydration needs in terms of volume, quantity, and then there's the the sodium element that, you know, whether you're a salty sweater yeah. or, or not. So starting with... I guess, f- volume and, and amount of hydration. How does somebody measure that? I mean, we, we hear about going out for a run, weighing yourself before and after. Is that an accurate way of determining your hydration needs? What are your thoughts on that? That can be a good idea for people, especially if they feel like hydration is a limiting factor for them or if they're going and doing particularly long or particularly hot races. Because if you weigh yourself before and after some training sessions, the amount of weight that you've lost is quite correlates really closely with the amount of sweating that you've done basically one liter of sweat weighs about one kilo so if you correct for anything that you drink or eat during a session weigh yourself before and after then you can start to see am i kind of a a one liter an hour type runner or a 1.5 or two liters and and the range is probably you know like i would say someone who's running hard a low sweat rate per hour might be four or five hundred milliliters per hour so half a liter or so up to and a high really high sweat rate for a runner might be two and a half liters you see people outside of those two bands but it's rare and and the average is something like about a liter an hour and whilst whilst that doesn't off the bat inform you immediately how much to drink it's a really useful exercise to calibrate that zone of are you like a are you basically a heavy sweater a light sweater or, or medium because over then you it's a pretty easy bit of maths to do looking at you know the length of a race the intensity you're going out and saying okay well i, I think i'm roughly going to lose x amount of fluid and that that method's been you know kind of held up as really good by some people and like horribly criticized by others but i think it's it's because people have tr- tried to treat it too literally you know just the way we do it with athletes is we and there's people if they're interested we've got a blog on our website they can download a free spreadsheet to put their numbers in and work all of this out um but i always use it for people as an educational process as a guide to getting them in the right zone it's to find out basically kind of what type of sweater you are it's not to get we're not interested in drilling this down to the nearest 100 milliliters it's like just find finding out if you're a low medium high or very high sweater because ultimately that that sort of informs whether you're likely to be totally fine with just the drink to thirst approach or whether you're going to need a more pre-planned or more aggressive strategy for a long race and i I guess just listen to you there's a couple of things that leap out for me here and we talk about this a lot with different guests depending on the the topic and the angle but it depends i guess on somebody's expectations or rather ambition for let's say it's an event here we're talking about a race whether that's running or cycling or any other uh, activity of that matter but if they're looking at optimum performance which is a phrase we keep using things change significantly don't they if they're just actually looking to get through it, uh, getting through it then then naturally their hydration demands i guess are not are not as important but the other thing is when we talk about testing so right getting out there okay i'm going to test weigh myself go for an hour and come back if somebody's main goal is a half marathon they're targeting that and they want to run two hours let's say surely they need to get to make the test accurate they need to be running at half marathon effort for that one hour training run to see what they would lose at the same sort of level of effort does that make some sense is that is that correct 
Absolutely, yeah. Like specificity is really important. If you if you want to know what your sweat rate's gonna be like for you know the Bristol half marathon in whatever time of year it is, that you to work to really drill into that, you've got to run at roughly the same pace, in roughly the same clothing, in roughly the same air temperature, which is not always easy to do. So that's why sometimes people go to the gym, run on the treadmill for an hour in either air conditioned or not, and then take that figure as kind of like extrapolate it so they can extrapolate it across everything else they're doing and that's again a bit of a misconception you to get really good data you've got to kind of do it in the field and and try to get it as close to the conditions that you're trying to trying to replicate and and like you've said for most people i think for the vast majority of runners who are like running more for like fitness and fun and like this type of thing is not necessarily if they're interested in it it's like an interesting thing to do but it's not it's not going to it's not the be all and end all. It's probably not for them. But this is, for on, you know, on the flip side, if this is someone who's really trying to unlock a great performance, and especially if it's in hot conditions or in a long race, I think understanding this stuff is a good, a good starting point for, for, for basically ruling out hydration as something that's going to trip you up. And do you think for people that aren't particularly good at taking on hydration, I know there's many runners that I work with, uh, certainly when they first, I first work with them, that perhaps don't take so much um, time to really think about hydration. You know, they're running 90 minutes or whatever, and they're not, they're not taking on board fluids, and maybe they're pushing quite hard in those 90 minutes and and beyond, uh, in which case we need to have the chat and get them on board with it. But is it worth starting in normal, regular life? So if somebody doesn't have a focus on hydration, is it worth trying to build that habit when they are working, when they are just spending day the day existing rather than training? I mean, I see as we're on Zoom now, we've all got the water on the go. And I, I, I point out, Andy, this is not just because we're talking to the uh, the hydration expert here. We are, you know, keeping ourselves hydrated. Do you think it's a good place to start just in everyday life trying to create a habit? The research definitely shows that a lot of, well, whilst a lot of athletes actually maybe over drink in the build-up to races, in training, before training sessions, we, we often start a little bit on the back foot with dehydration you know, with with low hydration levels because like today at work it's really easy for me we've got a coffee machine in the office you can come in and easily exist on caffeinated drinks and not really keep yourself properly topped up then you start your training session in the evening and you're already a bit behind so we have a huge focus on trying to get people to hydrate a bit more um, you know a bit more properly during the day especially if you're because if you can turn up to a training session well hydrated the vast majority of running training sessions you're not going to drink and you should be able to get through them fine but it it's it, it you get you get on the front foot by starting well well hydrated and you know there's a huge blog on our website with kind of protocols and tips and ideas for doing that it's just called how to start hydrated so we could we could you know link to that in your in your show notes or something if that's helpful we'll certainly do that that's uh, precisionhydration.com we'll link to that on the show notes page which is uh, runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast you mentioned coffee machines there are, are there drinks to avoid are there things that we should be thinking about if we have got a training session in the evening when we're allowed to meet up and get back in with our club mates and interval sessions and stuff what constitutes as hydration and what doesn't yeah the, it, the, it used to be thought that caffeinated drinks were sort of anti-hydrators because they're diuretics they cause you to pee more the research more recently definitely points in the direction that's maybe not quite so true you know if you drink a coffee although it will make you pee a bit more you you just quite a lot of water in it so you retain a lot of water i think 
at the risk of sort of using that phrase again, there's no one size fits all. It's a little bit individual. And I definitely find that if I exist on coffee, which I do when I travel and I'm jet lagged or you certainly used to, um, and I can get into a hydration mess quite quickly as a result because it seems to not agree with me. So I, I sort of cut the caffeine out after about 10 or 11 in the morning normally. And that, that seems to benefit my hydration status a lot. Um, alcohol is another one obviously most people well aware that you know one or two drinks is not going to do your hydration status too much damage but having quite a few and is then going to cause my, more diuresis and you end up behind um, in, in general though I, I would say that um, if people are new to running and they're not used to sort of getting themselves ready for training sessions or going out for a run later in the day then they could probably do far worse than swapping out one or two of the caffeinated drinks they're having during the day for a glass of water or a a juice or a herbal tea or something like that because um, I think as you and you'll know this from being a a long time runner you kind of just get to understand whether you're a bit up or down on your hydration status by how you feel but it takes a few years of maybe tuning into that and and probably actually does take a few runs of going out the door not realizing you're dehydrated until you get out there and suffering the consequences to really cement that for you like experience is a really good teacher in that regard i'm way more conscious of it obviously now than i than i used to be and i think also as I'm, i'm in my 40s now you know i probably i used to drink coffee all day long when i was in my 20s and it didn't seem to, to it didn't, didn't, didn't seem to matter i think you just deal with it better so i think you you sort of learn these things and they 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 change a little bit as you get older and you become better at, at staying on top of it well hopefully you coming on the show today and we can kind of fast track people's learning a little bit so they don't make the mistakes that you and i have certainly made and, and many other uh, runners and recreational athletes out there it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on the show and if, of course if people want to do the sweat test and find out exactly where they are and it's a good starting point isn't it as you say it's about from that point on discovering what works for you and and experimenting now's a good time we haven't got any races going off at the moment that's on your website which is precisionhydration.com and then you can do the free online sweat test which is actually a really good place to start um, it's, it takes two minutes to do it'll give you a bit of an idea of, as to whether you're a heavy sweater or the type of length the races you're doing will you know, benefit a hydration strategy or not um, and then if if you if you've got any really serious runners that are, are listening and are sort of like this the stories are of failing in the heat and that sort of thing are resonating with them then i'd say get in touch and talk to us about doing a proper sweat test which is where we take a sweat sample we analyze the the, the sodium loss and we can be a lot more sort of um, direct and prescriptive about what might work for you uh, and, and the team that we've got here at Precision Hydration, we're all athletes, you know, quite a lot of the, the team are runners. We've got free video calls with people if they want to have a chat and whatnot. So, yeah, reach out and get in touch. We're just at precisionhydration.com. Obviously, I'm going to go to check out the website and all of that will be available on runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm a heavy sweater because I can lose a gallon through watching Netflix for half an hour on the settee. So I'm definitely, I, I'm, I'm an unhealthy sweater. There's no doubt about it. That's a good thing, Pete. It's a good thing that you're very honest. You need to go and do that sweat test, I'm telling you. We'll confirm, we'll confirm. Always. Andy, it's great to chat to you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for the invite, guys. And um, yeah, best of luck with uh, navigating 2021. It's going to be better than 2020. We know that. This really is your weekly dose of running motivation. Running with Jake, the podcast. Your weekly dose of running motivation. Out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now. This is one of my favourite parts of the show where I get the chance to answer one of your questions. It is indeed hashtag AskJake. 
But before I do that, I can see Pete on the camera itching. It's just itching to mention what he mentions every single week. Pete, the stage is yours, my friend. Don't do that because now all of a sudden, like I'm stressed. You know, I'm stressed. Don't give me the. St- I don't want the stage. It's like that flipping clubhouse app when someone tells you you're on the stage. I have a little panic attack. Uh, <laughs> no, the only thing I want, I, I, I just think it's important to say because people say, "Oh, how can we support you?" You know, the podcast is free. Of course, it's free. Of course, it's free. Absolutely, it is. Uh, but if you did want to support us, if you do enjoy the material and you do find uh, some of the tips actionable and you just enjoy it and you think these guys are doing it for free, yeah, we are. Um, how can I pay? Of course you can pay if you want. That's the way the world works. Um, just go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and click on the Patreon link, okay? Or you can go to patreon.com forward slash runningwithjake. And interestingly, today's question in hashtag AskJake is from one of our new Patreons. Nice. Which is great. So if you want to become a patron of the show, we will certainly give you preferential treatment and we will answer your question in hashtag AskJake. So Ingrid has asked, how can I increase my endurance? Great question. I can only run about four miles without walking. I would love to be able to run longer, not necessarily faster. That's a great goal. I would suggest here, Ingrid, the first thing that pops into my mind is try not to put yourself under too much pressure to not walk. So if four miles is about your current limit without having to stop and walk, perhaps go out for a run, run three miles and then allow yourself to stop and walk maybe two minutes maybe five minutes so a relatively short walking break what you will be doing by allowing yourself to walk before you are forced to walk i.e before you get to that four mile point is you'll allow yourself to just recover a little bit so that when you do start running again and you get to that barrier of four miles you will no doubt find that you can actually run that little bit further because you stopped and walked earlier and you could keep building on this week on week and then eventually what you'll find is you will naturally break through that four mile barrier and you'll be running four and a half five miles without walking i hope that helps if you've got a question that's running related or not stuff it i'm in a good mood (laughs) it's hashtag ask jake that's it for another episode of the Running With Jake podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to today's show. A massive thank you to Solomon UK, the sponsor of today's show, and also our guest, Andy Blow from Precision Hydration. Run well, stay safe, keep yourselves hydrated. Very, very important. Pete and I will be back here next week for your weekly dose of running motivation. Oh, and one more thing. If better is possible... Then good is not enough.